Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. being the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. I think we maybe accomplished this and we continue on our journey. The end is in sight still yet. Looking at spring probably. But it's, it's in sight. I read the other day, I read the other day uh, a pastor that had, that had uh, preached over 53 hours straight for the Guinness World Book of Records. Uh, at all times, he had to have at least 10 people of his congregation there. And so they altered in and out. But he preached about 45 or so of his sermons back to back, had over 300 uh, slides, PowerPoint, that is, and so on and so forth. So I'd really like to beat that, and I thought I'd talk to you all about that. Because I know I probably got the material I could do I just don't know if I could get 10 people here at all times. That's my, that's my worry. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 14 will begin with verse number 14, and we'll read uh, to the end of that, of that chapter. We'll take this in sections tonight. Uh, continuing on into 15, we'll take it in sections. So uh, Revelation 14, 14. The Bible says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel. <laughs> it just caught me funny. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have started off with that story of breaking a record. And when I said, said sickle, it made me think of years ago, my dad told me about riding motorcycles. He said, you want to take a ride on the sickle? <laughs> and so it just popped into my mind right at that moment. I tell this is going to be a fun night. Another angel came, verse 50, another angel came. <laughs> I have a hard time getting over that. <sighs> and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle. <laughs> I might have to get a liaison here to read for me. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. This is bad. For the time has come. <laughs> I tell you what. I didn't stay home to watch the Super Bowl or nothing. I don't get intoxicated except on Jesus. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. <laughs> is horrible and the earth was reaped and another <laughs> if you need healing tonight you're getting it right now amen and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle and another and another angel came out from the altar I'm telling you, folks, I prayed today and read my Bible and studied and everything. Which had power over fire, cried with a loud cry to him 
They had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle. It's the word of the day. And gather the clusters of the vine of the earth where her grapes are fully ripe. <laughs> this is unreal. And the angel thrust in his sickle. And to the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even into the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. If we can't get to this tonight, we might have to go home and come back next Wednesday. <clears throat> oh, well. I'll tell you what. God is good. Amen. You may be seated. In Revelation 14, we've been dealing with a lot of things that have not yet come to pass, but they will. Invariably, they will come to pass. And so what we're met with with the last few verses here that we barely got through reading tonight is that what it is, those last few verses really are taking us forward to a time that's leading up to and including the time of the battle of Armageddon, written of in Scripture. Uh, that time when Christ will come upon the earth with his army and he will execute vengeance upon those that have not, not taken advantage of his mercy. And uh, he will have judgment upon them, not just them, but he will also have judgment upon the beast and his empire. And yes, this is a glimpse of the end, a continuation of what we've been talking about. The one described in verse number 14, there is one that is described like the Son of Man sitting on a white cloud. He says that there's a golden crown upon his head. There is a sharp sickle in his hand. And this may very well be, very may well be a reference to Jesus Christ, like unto the Son of Man, having a crown on his head, having a sickle in his hand, so on and so forth. And if this is so, then this is the last time in Scripture that the Lord is ever called the Son of Man, the last time that he is ever called the Son of Man. As a matter of fact, for the first time in the New Testament Scripture that he is called the Son of Man is in Matthew 8 and verse number 20 where the Bible says Jesus is replying to some and say, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. And so if you look at the first time he was called the Son of Man in the New Testament considering this last time that perhaps he is called the Son of Man, uh, there's quite a contrast between the two because the first time he is called the Son of Man, he doesn't have anything, doesn't even have a place to lay his head. But the last time that he's called the Son of Man, he's come to take everything that rightly belongs to him. And so last week we, we went through about a series of three angels, three messengers that bore some messages. If you remember one, uh, was preaching the everlasting gospel. Another was with a message that Babylon has fallen. Another came speaking about the destruction of those that took the name, the mark, or the number of the name, uh, so on and so forth. And this week there are three other angels that parade upon the stage, so to speak, that we're going to meet tonight as well. One of these angels is an angel that comes out of the temple, and this angel's making an appeal uh, to him that is sitting on that cloud with the sickle in his hand, he's making an appeal to him that he should go down and reap the harvest that is there. A second angel shows up 
comes out of the temple and he has a sharp sickle in his hand. A third angel comes out from the Bible says, no doubt it must be the temple, but it comes particularly from the altar area and it makes an appeal to the angel that had a sickle in verse 17 that it was time to harvest the the vintage or harvest the vine or the grapes that are upon the vine. And so in these last verses, and I know probably none of you, if, 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 if you haven't read it before, you didn't get it when we read it, but these verses right here, there's depicted there a couple of harvests, and really to say it a little bit better, there's depicted there two aspects of the final harvest. Two aspects of the final harvest. And it, it seems as though that Christ, of course, is superintending over both of these aspects of this final harvest, and he's actively involved in the harvest along with having his angels be involved in the harvest. And so there is a portion of the harvest in those last few verses that is a harvest of the earth, the Bible says. The harvest of the earth is ripe. And then there is another portion of the harvest that is a harvest of a cluster of grapes, if you will, or grapes of the vine of the earth that the Bible says is fully ripe. The word translated ripe in verse number 15 is different, a different word than that one which is used in verse number 18, also uh, translated in our English Bibles as ripe. In verse 15, the word ripe there actually means, or comes from a Greek word that means dry up, pine away, wither away, over ripe, or even it means to, to faint or be faint. In verse 18, the word ripe means to come to maturity or it's describing a cluster of grapes or grapes themselves that are full of juice ready to burst and so in each of these different aspects of one harvest one is overripe and whenever you read about the first harvest that it begins to describe it doesn't tend to make us think that it's talking about grapes or vineyard uh, for the most part mines go to and we'll look at this in a little bit go to the idea of grain or wheat that's being harvested but one is overripe and the other that concerns the vine or, or the grapes is another then that is mature and so each of these each of these aspects of the harvest have different ends in other words there's one thing that's done with those that are overripe and there's something else that are done with those that are just simply a mature or, or full of juice ready to burst forth the overripe the scripture says is reaped uh, and, and that's enough said there's not like a whole lot of more elaboration that takes place for that but the mature grapes that are full of juice rather ready to burst the grapes of the vine the bible speaks to us in these verses are cast into the great wine press of the wrath of God those that were reaped were, were were allocated designated for the wrath of the Lord's winepress and so there's a, there's a section of scripture I'd like to read to you tonight that will help our understanding a little bit concerning this harvest and these these two different aspects of the harvest in Matthew chapter 13 there'll be several verses if you want to turn there or just pay attention to the screen Matthew 13 and verse number 24 Amen, they're going to provide it for me, but I'm going to get it in my Bible as well in case I lose my spot and want to jump around and go back. But in Matthew 13 and verse number 24, the Bible says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, and, and, and let me preface something. Matthew is writing, Matthew is writing primarily unto a Jewish audience. 
And so sometimes we read certain things in Scripture and we read them as Gentiles, okay, and not reading them as or hearing them as through the ears of a Jewish individual. These were being, this was being written to Jews. This was pertaining to the Jewish people in particular here. And so as we understand that, uh, keep that in mind as you hear these words. And another parable put ye forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. And according to my understanding, tares and wheat and in their infancy of coming up through the ground, there wasn't a grand difference between the two. They looked very similar and alike. And so he goes on in verse 30 and he says, Let both grow together. Note now, until the harvest. Now that's good for, but this is a parable. This is a story relating to something. Uh, until the harvest, perhaps speaking about this final last day harvest. Let both grow up together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. He said, let both of these grow up together until the harvest. And note, uh, the, the householder, he had sown good seed. The seed he had placed in the ground was good seed, but he said the reason why there are tares there, he says an enemy has done this. At other places in Scripture, the Bible relates to us who that enemy is. We know him very well. Uh, the devil had done this. But the householder didn't want the tares to be gathered right away for the sake of the wheat. He didn't want them to be gathered together right away for the sake of the wheat, being that perhaps in the process of gathering, rooting up the tares, someone would accidentally or, or uh, mis, 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 uh, perceive which, which one was wheat and which one uh, was, was a tare and, and root up some of the wheat as well. So he says, Let, let's, just, let's just have you all wait until the time of the harvest or rather until a time when there will be without doubt a distinguishable difference between what a tear is and what wheat is. Amen? And so he says, let both of them grow into the harvest. The tares, he says, they're going to be bound in bundles, reserved for the fire to be burned up, to be burned. But the wheat, he said, we're going to take, gather, and put in my barn. We're going to take that and put that in my barn. An another event, another way to describe this event, we find many of these in, in, in Matthew 13, but also in Matthew 13, a little further down, starting around verse, verse number 13, uh, Matthew 13, verse number 47, rather, the Bible says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down, gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and 
sever the wicked from the just. Amen. And verse 50 says, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Both of these particular parables reflects, gives us a little bit greater understanding on the final harvest that the Bible is speaking of in chapter 14. It's a harvest, but the two aspects are this. There's going to be parts of the harvest that's going to be reserved, if you will, for the barn of the Lord. Parts of the harvest that's going to be reserved for, for the Lord. But there's going to be another aspect of the harvest that is going to be reserved for, if you will, the wrath of God. That happened with the wheat. It happened also with the fish. And so uh, I think it's important, though, to denote that the harvest we're speaking of here in Revelations 14 is not the catching away of the church. All right? It's not the catching away of the church. And remember, Matthew's written to a Jewish audience. He's speaking to the whole house of Israel. So whenever he's talking to them about tares and wheat, and he's talking to them about fish that's good and bad, he's speaking, remember, tribulation for the most part was designed for Israel, designed for the Jews, and there will be a group of Jews that will go through the tribulation, and when it's said and done, there will be the, 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 that which is reserved for his barn that believed in the Lord and, and seen him as the Messiah and so on and so forth, held true to that which was right. And there will be those who did not that will be subjected to the, the, the wine press of the Lord's wrath. So what we're talking about here in, in Revelation 14 is not the catching away of the church. Some people try to interject that right there, that, that this is the catching away of the church. No, that, that, that's already happened. That's already take place. And notice, again, those who are reserved, might I say, according to the terminology of Matthew 13, reserved for his barn are those that are overripe, or could I say with another definition of that word, they are faint. Think about it. If these are Jews that have kept their shoulders square through seven years of tribulation, yeah, they probably are somewhat faint because of everything they have endured. Again, when Christ says, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved, he's speaking again to a bunch of Jewish audience. And so they're going to endure some far greater things than what you and I are enduring right now. And, and so they're going to be overripe, per se. They're going to be somewhat faint, a little withered away. But, but they're going to be set aside for the Lord's, the Lord's barn because they are, they're ready to be past ready, if you will, to be harvested. And so certainly folks in the last day saying well let's wait to the time of the harvest before we pluck up these tares in this week certainly in the last days during the days of tribulation for sure there will be a noticeable difference between what is his and what is not his see today people try to blur the line but then there is going to be a definitive difference between who's his and not his for one remember they're going to buy or sell. They're going to have taken the mark of his name or his number, right? All these different things in the right hand or in their forehead uh, in order to have the ability to buy or sell. They're going to have to worship the image of his beast. So there's going to be a definitive difference between what is a tear. There's no guessing then what is a tear and what is a piece of wheat. If we can go on, though, just a little bit, that's speaking about the first aspect of the harvest, kind of the putting in the barn. But the second aspect of the harvest, uh, those going to uh, the wine press of his wrath, notice, and it's interesting, sometimes just go back and forth, make contrast in Scripture. The first time that Jesus came, 
upon the earth in the New Testament scripture. He came, the scripture said, he said, to seek and save that which was lost. But the next time that he comes, he will come to judge and sentence the lost. Amen. So he come with the first venue seeking to save him. The second venue, if you didn't, if you didn't clock in for his first, his first bypass and what he had to offer, you'll be subjected to his second uh, coming, which is judgment and sentencing. Amen. As, uh, as one time, if you can say the first time he came through, keeping in the context of our, 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 our reaping and, and so on and so forth, harvesting type aspect, the first time he came through, he came through as the sower. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming back as the reaper. Amen. He's going to be coming back as the reaper. And so the second aspect of the harvest in Revelation 14 is likened into a vintage. It's likened to grapes that are upon a vine, fully ripe grapes mature grapes, grapes that are full of juice ready to burst forth. And the, the, the picture that is described here, this is not a picture of taking something back home to glory. This is a picture of judgment as they would years ago and maybe still in certain locations today. They take those grapes, they put them in the wine press and people stomp and crush the grapes and tread the grapes. There is a crushing that is taking place. And what that time of actual judgment is really a good picture of that we'll even look at a little further uh, later in the book of Revelation is a battle of Armageddon that we'll see later when the Lord comes back the second time that we'll see the total destruction that will take place of mankind, the beast, and everything that is not in alignment with the will and the purpose of God. And so we see the scripture that there's an angel that comes forth and beckons to another one or makes an appeal to another one that they would thrust their sickle in. Amen. Thrust their sickle in for this harvesting of the grapes. And the angel that makes that appeal is the angel. And it's important. All these angels come from the temple. They've come from the presence of the Lord, if you will, the heavenly temple. But one in particular comes from the altar comes from the altar in particular and is asking thrust in your sickle and, and harvest the, in this second aspect of the harvest those that need to be thrown in the wine press for the wrath of God. Now, with that being said, this angel coming from the altar, let's rewind the tape a little bit and let's recall something back in Revelation chapter number 6, back whenever the fifth seal was broken. In Revelation chapter number 6, because during that time there were some martyrs that were under the altar that had a question the Bible said back in Revelation 6 at the fifth seal and when he had opened the fifth seal verse number 9 there I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God so, so martyrs alright and for the testimony which they held and they these that were under the altar cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And so it's peculiar then that an angel would be coming from the altar where the martyrs had been under the altar, comes from the, the martyrs that said, God, when are you going to take your vengeance out upon those that have done us wrong for staying true to you? That the angel comes out and says, thrust in your sickle now to gather the grapes, and it's the grapes of wrath. I mean, really, it's the grapes of wrath thrown into the wine press to be tread out. This, in other words, the, the, the question that the martyrs had is now being answered. 
in Revelation chapter 14, the vengeance upon those that had done wrong and to those that have tried to stay true and faithful to the things of God, their question is being answered right now in Revelation chapter 14. Amen. The last few verses uh, of Revelation 14. Uh, they find other places throughout your Bible. There's places where these were already prophesied about. For instance, in Joel chapter number 3, there is a prophecy, and perhaps this is the fulfillment in Revelation. The Bible says in Joel 3, let the heathen be wakened and, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which the valley of Jehoshaphat, uh, also known as Megiddo, also known as the place where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. For there will I sit to judge, he says, all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. It's a prophetic speaking of the time of the gathering, if you will, of the vintage in, in a picture form. But in reality, the gathering of the people that took the mark, took the name, worshipped the beast, fell down in all this. It's time for great wrath to be poured out upon them. Again, this is being spoken in chapter 14, but it's still future to take place from the standpoint even right here in the book of Revelation. Now, here's the bizarre thing. People speculate about this all times, but the last verse of chapter 14, the Bible says that the blood came out of the winepress. The blood came out of the winepress of God's wrath and went to the horse's bridle. For 1,600 or 1,600 furlongs, which approximately, you can get all kinds of values, but it's approximately about 160 miles. Now, and 160 miles may very well be the scope of area of, of, of the battle of Armageddon. There's a lot of whatever uh, people that, 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 that go back and forth concerning that. But we asked ourselves, could, could, man, could blood flow as deep as a horse's bridle? Well, I suppose it could. I now, you know, the Bible speaks of that army of two million, and I don't know if that's literal or figurative, but uh, I, I can't even remember the exact amount now, but they said if all the blood was drained out of two million people, they gave the number of how many gallons of blood that that is. That's a lot of blood. It very well could be. Nonetheless, uh, you could, very well people could be slain and blood could splatter to the horse's bridle. That's for sure. It for sure could happen. So I don't know the exact meaning if it's going to be deep, wide, and breadth all the way to the horse's bridle, if it's splattering to the horse's bridle. But nevertheless, what it describes to me is that the severity of God's wrath is going to be horrid. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he's going to be treading the wine press. <laughs> Revelation 19, 15, it says, Out of his mouth, this is speaking of Christ, go off a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is not, this is not like second string wrath that you're getting that God said, you go do this. God's coming down. He's taking care of his own business. And I don't want to have any part of being on the wrong side of God. I don't want to have any part of that. Another description of this time of the treading of the wine press in Isaiah 63, Sister McGee, and verse number one, you should have it for me. I know we have a lot of scripture here tonight, but just bear with me. Who is this that cometh from Edom with thy garments from Bozrah? This... That is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. 
I speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? In other words, your garment wasn't that color to begin with, but you've been in the wine press. And what's happened in the wine press, that has tainted your garments. Uh, for then, that might have been juice, uh, grape juice, <laughs> uh, but in the last day, it'll be the blood of men and women. I have trod in the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation in me, and my fury it upheld me. One more verse. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Remember treading in his wine press? Remember, uh, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, we just basically hit on just a little bit. Babylon the harlot talking about she'll make all nations to drink of her wine. But God says, if you drink of hers, I'm going to make you drink of mine. Uh-huh. Not only that, you're going to be in the wine press being trampled Amen, as a part of it all. And so the Bible says that the trampling of this, this wine press, the wrath of God, it's being trodden without the city. And that was typical uh, with handling anything that was unclean. In the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, times, uh, the, the, the wine press was without the city. Anything that was unclean was always handled outside the city. The flesh of the animals, what they do? They would strip off those animal skins and they would take them out to an unclean place. It was with out the city for that matter Christ Jesus whenever he suffered on the crucifix of the cross he suffered the crucifix of the cross which was the judgment of sin for all of us and it happened without the city wrath and judgment takes place without the city and that is what's taking place right here in the word of the Lord and if this is describing then a time of Armageddon where men are going to lose their lives for not being in alignment with the purpose and will of God after he returns the Bible tells us in Revelations 19 that it is going to be so horrible of the lives and those that are lost through the battle of Armageddon that did not stay true to the Lord but took the mark, the name, worship the beast. It's going to be so bad. You read in Revelation 19 later, we'll get there, that the Lord even beckons unto the vultures of the air and said, you can have the flesh of kings, the flesh of rulers, and the flesh of this one. He's asking the vultures to come to even help clean up the carnage that's all across the world because of his great wrath that has went forth. As a matter of fact, if Ezekiel chapter 39, if it is, which it may be, but if it is, if it is referencing the battle of Armageddon, uh, then according to the scriptures there, if it is referencing that battle, then it will take, according to those scriptures of Ezekiel 39, it'll take approximately seven months just to bury the dead from the whole scenario. That's bad. Amen. 14, 15, Revelations 15, verse number one. Here we go. We're going to get through this chapter. It's short, folks. Revelations 15, verse number one. The Bible says, and I saw... Another sign in heaven, because we've seen two other signs before. They were called wonders, but it's being interpreted signs, so this is like the third sign. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, 
and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are thy works Lord God almighty just and true are thy ways thou king of saints who shall not fear thee O Lord and glorify thy name for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Chapter 15 serves as nothing more but an introduction, an introduction to the pouring out of the final judgments. We've had, if you remember, the seven seals. Within the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. Within the seventh trumpet contains the seven vials. We left off back at, at chapter number 11 I believe it was back at chapter number 11 we left that there was a gathering of the angel the seventh angel that sounded all right that's what we read in chapter number 11 the seventh angel sounded and then we had 12 13 14 it's all these little interlude parenthetical chapters uh, that are not kind of like in the chronological order of everything that's been taking place they're just kind of in there giving us other information and details about this and that and other well we, we've had the seven seals out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets out of the seven trumpets then come these seven vials and so it, 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 what we have here is an introduction then to the seven vials that are going to take place again the shortest chapter in Revelation but it's basically just a little foreword a little prologue if you will uh, to chapter number 16 where the vials are actually poured out because again Revelation 11 uh, the, the seventh trumpet sounds as a matter of fact Revelation 11 around verse number 19 there's even a scene of the temple we're seeing the temple and so now we return back to the temple Revelation 15 and 5 we see the temple again so we, we've had this interruption of 12 13 and 14 if those weren't there you'd have had 11 and 15 back to back and you'd had the angel sound and the trumpet and we'd had the scene of the temple and it would just been continuity. This temple had still been there. So this is how people get lost in Revelation from those little interlude chapters that happen uh, throughout there. And so we're, we're, we're seeing the temple again and so we're continuing with the seven vile judgments, seals, trumpets, vials. And so after these, these three chapters that we've been kind of going through for the past several, several, several weeks. Amen. And so there's another sign and the sign is seven angels with seven last plague seven last plagues Henry Morris uh, in his book called the revelation record I quote he says that these are the last plagues proves again that they are not mere reiterations of former plagues the seals and trumpets and bows are sequential not parallel we talked in the very beginning when we started talking about the seals some people believe in the seals and then the trumpets and the vials are all one same story and they begin in at the same time but whenever we see that these are the seven last plagues he's denoting it as that that these are different than the other these are the last not the first not necessarily uh, paralleling the others but they are uh, sequential as though it would seem and he says the word here the word translated plagues can also be translated in other places of scripture as translated stripes for instance in Luke 12 in verse 47 the Bible says in Luke 12 47 using the same word except translating it as stripes rather than plagues and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes that word there 
in our Revelation scripture is defined as plagues. Now, when we think of plagues, man, we're thinking, man, there's some type of terminal illness. You know, there's, there's something like Egypt. There's some type of pestilence that comes upon people, some awful disease. But the last plagues, particularly of the last days, are in many ways just as if we could translate it the last, the seven last stripes. Because stripes were nothing more but a marked, a mark of judgment for wrongdoing. If a person got stripes laid upon them, it was because they had done something wrong. They had done something incorrect. They had transgressed. They had done something unlawful. And so when you think of the seven last plagues or the seven last stripes, think of it in terms, these are things that is coming upon the people. Amen. Uh, this is the full wrath of God, the complete, it's filled up, uh, that's coming against the people that have not corresponded to the voice of the Lord. And look, in Luke, in Luke 12, 47, the Bible says the servant did not prepare himself, did not prepare himself, and, and neither did he do according to his will. Whose will? God's will he didn't do according to his will and as a result he suffers the consequences the stripes and so those living in the times of the tribulation i'm not trying to be part i'm not going to be a part of that group but those living there those jews living during the time of tribulation better prepare themselves and they better follow the will of god or they will suffer consequences the seven last plagues of god they will suffer the wrath of god as a matter of fact amos Amos speaking particularly to Israel said in Amos 4.12 he said therefore thus will I do unto thee O Israel because I will do this unto thee prepare to meet thy God O Israel make preparations to meet your Lord and if there's any words that are any more true than the writer of Hebrews Hebrews 10.31 this is for sure applies in the last of last days it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God now, some of you might not think that carries much weight now, but if you wait till then, you're going to feel the weight that that really carries. The wrath of his judgment, his wine. No, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. That's the reason why, the, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and the Bible says, for in them, that is these seven last plagues, or these seven last stripes, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Filled up, or in these seven last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. The wrath of God is finished. It's finished. It's done. It's over with. It's, it's the capstone of it all. And whenever he says fill up, it's the, and we talk about finished, it's the same word that Christ used on the cross whenever he spoke from the cross and said, it is finished. Well, there is, there is nothing any more conclusive than that. You know how conclusive Jesus' words from the cross were when he said it's finished. Well, it's the same word that's been saying his wrath is finished. His wrath is filled up. His wrath is now complete according to the scriptures. And so then we look at that. There are some people that are standing upon this sea of glass that's mingled with fire. Now, I cannot answer every question, all right? Whether this sea of glass that's mingled with fire is the same sea of glass that was mentioned in Revelation 4, I don't know. It's difficult to know whether it is or if it isn't. If it is the same, before in Revelation 4, it was not occupied. Now, it is occupied. And those that are standing on this sea, or some translate those that are standing by the sea, could very well be those Jews that stayed true when they knew to be right, when what, doing what they knew to be right, 
had victory over the beast and over his name and over his mark and over the image. It could be those very ones that stood true through those tribulation sorrows. And the Bible says they're here on this sea or by the sea and they're singing a song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And they have harps in their hands. Harps. Glorious. Amen. The only instrument, musical instruments you see ever named in Revelation are harps and trumpets. So if you play either, just feel important. Amen. Stringed instruments. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Harps and trumpets. But they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, the song of Moses. There's something particularly spoken as the song of Moses in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the song of Moses, what oftentimes is deemed the song of Moses, is in Exodus 15, whenever Israel crossed over the Red Sea. And after they crossed over and Pharaoh's army and the Egyptians are drowned in the sea, Moses begins his song talking about the victory and the deliverance that the Lord had brought to him. All right? As a matter of fact, some even think maybe that sea of glass that's mingled with fire is to be alluding to the Red Sea of old. The sea that is red, uh, 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 the sea of glass mingled with fire. I don't know because each of these, each of these have a victory song that is associated with them. The song of the lamb, on the other hand, in these verses, to be appears to be the song of victory over the Antichrist, over Babylon, over all those things that are negative and listed right before us in verses number uh, three and four is listed what the song of the Lamb consisted of. And so we have these people singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb and it could very well indicate that they are all or at least in part Israelites because if you're singing the song of Moses that may have an indication that you are Israelite of nature. Jewish uh, of descent. Think about this now. The song of Moses, Moses, the song of the Lamb. John Mark Arthur said this. He said, the song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. He says, the song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. He said, the song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. He said, the song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells us how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture. The song of the Lamb is the last song in Scripture. The song of Moses commemorated the execution of the foe, the expectation of the saints, and the exaltation of the Lord. The song of the Lamb deals with the same three issues, God's faithfulness, God's deliverance, and his own and, and deliverance of his own and judgment of the ungodly. They're singing a song. If they had made it through those years of tribulation, if these are Jews that stand in there, then they have a victory song to sing. They have went through much, and they are victorious. Yes, they're victorious, and they can say that God had given them that victory. Verses 5 through 8 now of Revelation 15. The Bible says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle, the testimony in heaven was open, and the seven angels came out of the temple. Having the seven plagues clothed, having the seven plagues, let me pause for my comma here, or <laughs> that's going to sound weird. <laughs> clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So John sees. The, 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 the temple, the tabernacle, the temple of the testimony in heaven. John sees the holies of holies of the heavenly temple. 
it's open. Seven angels are coming forth from that holy of holy place. They are properly attired. They are properly clothed. They have been given, each angel has been given a vial from one of the living creatures. Remember the four living creatures around about the throne of God? Those living creatures are handing out vials, each one to one of these angels that have come from the holiness of the Lord, the holiness of his presence. And we see, as it's been called, as it's happened, in the earthly tabernacle, so it happened in the heavenly tabernacle. Every earthly tabernacle or temple, whatever you wish to call it, the, the tabernacle of the wilderness, Moses' tabernacle, or the temple of Solomon, each one had a point in time that they were filled with the smoke and the glory of God. Do you remember that? In Exodus 40, verse 34, concerning the tabernacle of the wilderness, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The temple of Solomon, 1 Kings 8 and verse 10, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Seven angels come out of the heavenly temple and a cloud, smoke, fills the house of the heavenly temple and the Bible says no one was able to enter that temple as well. For that matter, consider, once the angels begin to pour out, and that will be next week, chapter 16, once the angels begin to start pouring out the contents of the seven vials or the seven bows, according to Scripture, because the cloud entering, no one can enter heaven's temple. Let me state it like this. Right now in the book of Hebrews, Scripture tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But it is possible that once the vials start being poured out, no one else, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, whoever, no one else will be able to be saved. All right, no Jew. That, that seven-year tribulation time, you know, tribulation saint, all that stuff, no one will be able to be saved. No one will be able to enter the temple. Nothing will be able to take place until the plagues are finished. And whenever the plagues are finished, God's going to set up his new heaven, his new earth, his kingdom, his millennial reign when all that is said and done. As a matter of fact, Scripture relates this in Revelation 22 and verse 11. It says this, and maybe... Perhaps this could be one of the reasons it says this. No one can enter the temple. So whatever state you're in is going to be the state you are. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Because there's no more entering. Whatever state you are is the state that you'll be. Amen. Stay with me. We did it. Ten, took 10 minutes to read through the first scripture setting, but we did it. Next week, we'll look at Revelation chapter 16, and within 16 is all seven vials described being poured out. And I feel like we should be able to go through that relatively, relatively quick, all right? If I'm guessing, if I'm looking at, say I just do two per the rest, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, 
14. If I just do two lessons per the rest of the chapters, I've still got 14 weeks. Someone say amen. <laughs> Does anybody remember when we started this? I said, I don't ever know that we weren't in the book of Revelation. <laughs> I'll give you an indication. June 25th of last year is whenever we started all this. Amen. We might be able to get it done before year's up. Hallelujah. Let's Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.